Now let's turn for a few moments to the passage of Scripture which we have read in uh, the Gospel according to St. Luke, uh, chapter 19. And uh, we'll read again at verse 41. Luke chapter 19 and uh, at verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Now we've got an account in this passage of Scripture of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ's final entry into the city of Jerusalem. He comes down the side of the Mount of Olives and we read in the text here that he came down the side of that mountain weeping and we are told that he was weeping over the city that lay out there uh, before him. Now when Jesus left the city of uh, Jericho, we know from uh, other areas of scripture that he was at the head of a great crowd of people, <coughs> that a great crowd of people were following, uh, was following him up to the city of uh, Jerusalem. But news seems to have gone ahead of him to Jerusalem that he was on his way and another great crowd came out of Jerusalem uh, to meet him so that by the time he draws nigh to Jerusalem itself he has been swallowed up by as it were two great crowds and he finds himself in the midst of a great number uh, of people now we know what the state of mind of most of these people uh, was. They were exhilarated, they were euphoric, they were on a high. There seems to have been adrenaline flowing in every vein of their body. They were crying out about this man being uh, the son of David. They were crying out about this man being the Messiah. They were talking in terms of this man being a king. They were waving the palm branches. They were taking their garments. They were throwing them before the animal upon which this man eh, sat. Do you know if it was you or I who was there? I think we know the way that we would respond uh, to that kind of treatment this vast throng of people and there's only one person one thing upon their mind the whole focus is upon this man Jesus of Nazareth if it had been you or I I think we would have wanted uh, to savor the moment and to just lap up what the people were willing to give to us. Especially when you consider the treatment that Christ got over the last few years of his life. You know, we will be saying to ourselves, well, I deserve this. I've been through so many hard things, through so many rebuttals, 
through so much misunderstanding, through so many times of rejection, I deserve to be the focus of everyone's attention now. And I'm just going to allow myself to uh, let it all seep in. And I'm going to allow myself to let my ego feed itself on the applause and on the adulation of this great crowd of people. And yet that's not what we find here. We find something very, very different. We find this man on the back of this animal looking out at this city and he isn't interested in the applause. He isn't interested in the adulation nor the garments nor the, the waving palms nor the songs they're singing. There's something else in this man's mind. Something that makes this man weep. And it isn't just a case of a man trying to struggle with his emotions and uh, frantically attempting to keep emotional control and allowing a tear here and a tear there to escape. It isn't like that. Because in the original, we were told that he was sobbing. He beheld the city and he wept over it and he wept over it profusely. You know, in the passing we might ask this question. This great crowd of people that saw so much of this man where were they in a few days' time? And Christ would hang on the cross of Calvary. Where was the adulation at Golgotha? Where was the song of praise at the place of a skull? You know, it is a fact that many of these people, they turned away from this Christ, from this man. And if we ask the question, why did they do that? The answer is this. He proved to be a very different Messiah to the one they had hoped for. What were they hoping for? They were hoping for a king who would be like an earthly king, who would send the occupying power of Rome packing and would put Israel back on the political map of the world. And what would that mean for them? Well, it would mean no more taxes to that awful occupying power. It would mean more money in their pockets. They could do their own thing. They could build better houses. They would have better paid jobs. They could they give to their children things that they couldn't now. But when they realized that it wasn't that kind of Messiah he was, they simply didn't want to know. Now what was the problem? The problem was this, that these people couldn't see past the here and the now. They had set their hearts on time and they weren't all that interested in eternity. But that's not the way it is with Christ, as we shall see from this passage. And when their aspirations were in smolderings, and when their hopes were all dashed, they did something that we were very well acquainted with. 
they began to look for a scapegoat and the scapegoat would be the man who dashed all their hopes and instead of him being the one who was to be king he was the one that they would cry out concerning crucify him crucify him we don't want to know anymore but despite all of that this man would not limit his vision to time this man would look out into eternity and that is what you and I ought to do if we are wise as well we ought to look out into eternity as well as looking at the here and the now what is it that breaks the heart of Jesus of Nazareth as he comes down the Mount of Olives for the last time what is it that makes him sob as he comes into the city of Jerusalem in his final entry well what has he got to say he's got this to say if thou hast known even thou at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace what was it that was upon the mind of Christ at this time? It wasn't the applause. It wasn't the adulation. It wasn't the popularity of men. It was something much, much more important than that. It was the peace of men's souls. It was this relationship about which eh, we are all involved this relationship with you and your God and me and my God and these people and their God and he was very very concerned that there should be peace in that relationship we go back to the Garden of Eden and there was peace there sublime peace but it didn't last man became an enemy and there was enmity between God and man and that's the way it has been ever since but here is the Messiah and he is concerned about peace in that relationship between men and their God if thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace but now they are hid from thine eyes you know these are very very sobering words that these things are hidden from the eyes of this city so to speak you know we live in a day and age where we think we are so progressive, we are so enlightened, we have made leaps and bounds and strides ahead of any of the teachings of this man. You know, we are throwing off all the shackles of a past age and a past generation. We don't have the inhibitions of past times. And we glory in that. And we are fools to glory in that. Because the judgment of God is not something that is confined to the world beyond this one. 
It is something that can be found in the here and in the now. And you know, even as reflecting our own nation at this time, we hear so many of our leaders talking in terms of how and they think that we're stepping out to be a better nation than we have been. And what they don't realize is this, that we are already a nation under the judgment of God and he is allowing it to go on and on. He allows the hardening of men's hearts to take place and we should realize that and we should bow the knee and plead with him to turn it all on its head and to bring us back. You see, it is a fact that these things can be hidden from one's eyes. What things? The things pertaining to peace between ourselves and our God. That these things can be hidden from our eyes. You know, we walk out of a, of a church door having heard the gospel preached and it doesn't matter a great deal. We do it week in, we do it week in and week out. But don't think for one moment that it doesn't matter because it does matter. And continual rejection of Jesus the Messiah has a huge cost going with it. And I want you to remember that this night, that you continue to reject Christ and there may well come a day when it's too late, when it's simply too late. For the day shall come upon me that thine enemy shall cast the trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. What's Christ talking about? Well, you know, in the year AD 70, this city was razed to the ground. You know, the historians tell us that the gold of the temple even mingled with the blood of the people as it flowed in the street of Jerusalem. And shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee, whether that means the children within the city walls or whether it means the children within mother's wombs because they also were slaughtered in the carnage of that moment and they shall not leave in me one stone upon another. Why? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You see, here is Christ in the midst of this great crowd of people and he's looking out over it and over the city and he knows what this city is about to do he knows that this city in a handful of days will slaughter him he knows that this city will take nails and drive him into his hands and his feet at a place called Calvary. But he knows also that men are responsible for their deeds and that there will be a consequence for this city 
And he knows that in the year AD 70, this city will be raised to the ground. And he is heartbroken over that. He is heartbroken. But I want us to remember this. That it wasn't just to the year AD 70 that Christ was looking on the Mount of Olives. You see, AD 70 was indeed the judgment of God upon a rebellious city and upon a rebellious people. But it was only the prelude to a much greater moment, to the day of judgment for the whole of the human race that has ever been in this world. But this Christ doesn't just look at the here and the now, but that he allows his eye to come down the channel of time to a time and a place where all men and all women shall meet with their God. And he considers those who have rejected him as the Messiah and he seems to be heartbroken over that kind of prospect. I wonder, I wonder what you would say if you were asked the question as you stood on the edge of that mountain that day, <clears throat> what do you think's in the mind of Christ? Would you have come up with this? I wonder what you would say if you knew what was going to happen on Calvary's Hill in a very short space of time, if you knew all that Christ was going to have to go through in the next handful of days of his life, and someone asked you, what do you think's in the mind of Christ at this moment? What would you say? I suppose many of us might well say that he's probably thinking in terms of how dreadful this city is and what an awful place it is and how it deserves to be wiped off the map right now and that he doesn't really want to go anywhere near it at all. That they are a brutal, worthless, cruel people they're going to do these dreadful things to me and I dislike this city. <clears throat> I detest this city. I abhor this city. I think that's the way your mind and my mind would very likely work. But it's not the way the mind of Christ is working. He knows this city is about to slaughter him. And yet the amazing thing is this. He's heartbroken. He's sobbing. He wept over that city. 
You know that parable we've just read earlier on in this chapter? It's about God, isn't it? You know, someone in that parable thought that God was an austere God, that he was a hard God. And for all I know, you are here tonight and you've entertained that thought. And for all I know, maybe you think it's the case at this very moment that God is this harsh, hard, austere being. You know, I know the doctrine of election. He chooses some, others are just left. And you feel that there's almost a streak of cruelty within God himself. You never say that. You never tell anyone else that. It wouldn't be the right kind of thing to say, but that's the way you think. We should remember this, that if we want to know what God is really like, that we take a look at the Lord Jesus Christ. It is he who reveals God to us. And what is he like? I ask you, where is the austerity in this man? Where is the hardness and the harshness? Is there anything remotely resembling the brutality that sometimes we entertain in our minds? It isn't. It isn't anything like that. It's not remotely like that. He is a Christ who is full of compassion. He is a Christ who opens his arms wide and wide and says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I suppose that rests the same thing as the peace he's talking about here. Rest in your relationship with your God and my God. Let me ask you this. You are still outside of Christ this night. And I don't want to ask it to the older people only, nor to the middle-aged and the older, but I'm asking it to the young people here as well this night. I want you to remember this, that virtually every newspaper you'll ever live today there will be a column in which there will be someone of your age who has passed into eternity. I want you to remember that you have a never-dying soul beating away in your bosom as well. And I want you to remember that it's precious, even if there are others who don't think so. And even the disciples thought that on one occasion when the mothers brought their children to Christ for him to bless them, take them away. Take them away for whatever reason. Perhaps because Christ was too busy. Perhaps because they would get in the way. But this Christ gave them a good telling off and said to them, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And you remember that this night that Christ challenges you as well as everybody else about this issue of peace. 
And so I want to challenge everybody in here tonight, young, middle-aged and old, tell me why it is that you are still outside of Christ. Tell me what it is. Is it something in Christ himself? Is it some defect? Is it some weakness? What is it? What is it? And I fear there are some here who perhaps haven't even analysed what it is. But if you would sit down and do that and measure up what it is against who Christ is and what he's offering, you would realise how ridiculous the position you hold tonight really is. How absolutely ridiculous and mad it really, really is. Why is it? Why is it that you are going on rejecting him? When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Can it be that he is not your type of Messiah? Can it be that yes, you are interested in religion? We all are. We were created that way. We have a void in our lives since the fall. We've got to put something into it. So we all are in some way or another. But that what you want to fill your religious void is not the kind of Messiah that Christ is. Well, let me ask you this. Is the kind of Messiah that you're after going to give you the peace of soul that you so desperately want? You know, it's amazing. It's really quite amazing the things people will do as they go along life's experience, as they hunt high and low for this one commodity, peace in their lives. And there is only one place to find real peace. There is only one person who can give real peace and that is this Christ, the Christ who wept over the city of Jerusalem. Why, oh why, will ye die? Turn ye, turn ye. Why will ye die? May God grant that we would all have the wisdom to flee to the Christ of Calvary this night. You remember what he said concerning this very same city. What did he say? Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets and killest those that are sent unto thee. What did he want to do? 
He wanted to sweep them up in the same way as a hen sweeps up her chicks and pull them to himself so that they would be found safe for time and safe for eternity under the wing of Calvary. You know, I remember as a youngster going to feed the hens and you know if the dog would come and the chicks were around normally the hen would scurry away when the dog would come but not when there were chicks. She would scoop them all up and she would stand her ground. That's what Christ wanted to do for the city of Jerusalem. But there was one problem, and it was a big problem. Ye would not. Let me just say this to you. God forbid that it should be true, but that if you are found in a lost eternity, it will be down to one thing, and one thing only, ye would not. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we pray that we would pay attention to the things that are of greatest importance as we go through this world. We pray for any who are in here this night who have a peace that does not come from Christ. We pray that it would be driven away from them and they would find so much unrest in their souls that they would come running to the friend of sinners crying out, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen.